Uh, if you have your Bibles, if you would, turn to the book of 1 Timothy as we continue our verse-by-verse study through the book of 1 Timothy. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand and we'll get one right to your seat so you can follow along with us. 1 Timothy chapter 4. If you're using a tablet, just press on the button in the upper right-hand corner, hit 1 Timothy, and it'll go right to it. Looking at verses 1 through 8 this morning. I trust you're all there. Paul begins verse 1 by saying, Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits, doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanded to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good, and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is sanctified by the word of God in prayer. If you instruct the brethren in these these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith and of the good doctrine which you have carefully followed. But reject profane and old wives' fables and exercise yourself towards godliness. For bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things, having a promise of the life that is now and is that which is to come. The title of my study this morning is Fraud Protection. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together, Lord, to be in your word, to know, Lord, that it's your desire to speak to our hearts. We're excited about that, Lord, because the the God of the universe, you who created everything in it, Lord, you're here this morning desiring to talk to us. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd give us all open ears to receive all that you have for us, Lord, that we would not discard anything that you have to say to our hearts, but we would just take it all in, apply it to our lives. Lord, we also pray if there's anyone that has joined us that is yet to come into the saving knowledge of your Son, Jesus Christ. They're not yet born again. They're not saved yet. Lord, would you especially touch their heart this morning and help them to see their need for you, Lord, and to surrender their hearts to you and to find that forgiveness of their sin. We ask your blessing upon our time. We commit it to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Perhaps you've received these phone calls. I know I have of late. Three of them in particular. The first one, maybe you've heard this. Hi, this is Rachel from Card Services. There's nothing wrong with your credit care card right now at this time. It appears you're now eligible for a significantly lower interest rate on your account. However, this offer is about to expire, so please press 1 now to be transferred to a live representative. Maybe you got this one. Hi, I'm from the IRS office and we have audited your taxes and there's been a miscalculation. The local authorities will be coming to your house with an arrest warrant and your property will be seized and you will face federal imprisonment up to five years if you don't respond now. Got that one. And then finally, the third one I've got, maybe you got this, the phone rings. And on the other end is someone with a thick accent from India claiming to be a Microsoft technical support, telling you that your Microsoft computer has a virus and they want to get you to let them take control of your computer, get you to purchase their virus software $300, and actually they just want to take over your computer. They don't even have a Microsoft computer. What do all these things have in common? They're scams. They're, they're acts of committing fraud. What do I do when I get a phone call like that? Well, for the most part, I hang up. 
But every now and then, I want to share the truth with them. That Jesus died for their sin. They don't have to continue down this path. And if they just look to Jesus Christ to save them, they could be saved. And if they haven't hung up yet, I'll say, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Click. You know, I didn't hear that click. But I want to speak the truth to them. While our enemy, the devil, is the master of fraud. He's been at it for over 6,000 years. and He's a good, good at it. Very good at deceiving people. In fact, Paul gives us this warning in verse 1 here that some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits. Now, when you know, now, you know, when it comes to the credit card phone call, when it comes to the IRS fraud phone call, you know, when it comes to the Microsoft computer phone call, uh, you know, now that you know the truth, now that you know that they're fake, you know, maybe you didn't know until now. Maybe you've, you know, been on the phone with these guys and now that you know the truth, you're not going to be fooled by that again. Unless, of course, that you are running from the IRS, and that's a different topic altogether, and we have to deal with that. But, see, the truth gives you freedom. It gives you fraud protection. Well, the same principle applies when it comes to God's Word. It's the truth of God's Word in our lives that prevents us from being deceived and following wrong doctrine, wrong paths. It gives us that spiritual fraud protection. So it's for that reason, if you're taking notes this morning, Three points that we're going to look at. Number one, the truth. Number two, the lie. And number three, the word. Number one, the truth. Truth is a very powerful word, but much more than that, I believe that truth is a very powerful principle when we apply it to our daily living. Webster defines the word truth this way. It's the quality or state of being true, of being honest, of being sincere, real, genuine, and exact. As the church, you and I have been given by God the responsibility of presenting the truth to the rest of the world and also to protect truth as a foundation for the sake of the rest of the world. Because as believers in Jesus Christ and His Word, you have before you on your laps, in your hands, on your tablet, the pure, undefiled, living truth. In fact, we left off in verse 15 of chapter 3. Look at verse 15 of chapter 3. Paul is telling Timothy there, he says, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And then he presents the truth of Jesus Christ in this very next statement in verse 16. He says, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in the glory. He says, here's the truth. God was manifested in the flesh. That is, God became man when Jesus Christ was born. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He was justified in the Spirit. When Jesus was baptized there in Matthew chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, it says that the heavens opened up. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Justified in the Spirit. He was seen of angels. Remember, immediately after his baptism, he went into the wilderness and he was tempted by Satan with the same temptations that bug you and I and plague us and hassle us. And at the end of 40 days, Jesus was victorious and was then ministered to by angels. He was seen of angels. Maybe they brought him some angel food cake. I don't know. Then Paul says he was preached unto the Gentiles. And Paul knew that because 
Paul preached them to the Gentiles and then believed on in the world. Remember at the crucifixion, at the cross, the, the Roman centurion believed on Jesus as Jesus hung on the cross and said, truly this is, was a son of God. He believed. The thief on the cross next to him believed. And then many, you know, hundreds upon hundreds who are eyewitnesses of his resurrection believed on in the world. And then finally received up into glory. Jesus is in heaven right now. He lives to make intercession for you and for me. This is the truth of who Jesus is, what Jesus has done for us. So Paul says, when you gather together in the house of God, understand that as you gather together as a church, it's not the building, it's you and I that have the, the responsibility to stand on this, this truth. You have the responsibility of handling the truth of the Word of God and to continue to, to, continue to teach and to preach Jesus. That is why Paul says, this is the proper conduct in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of the truth. That, that word pillar, it's, it's kind of an architectural language there. The pillar of truth is God's word. The church is where we should hold of God's truth and be faithful to, to preserve and preach and practice the truth. We know that Jesus says, said that if we know the truth, it's the truth that will set us free. And if the truth will set us free, then the lie... Even the smallest will keep someone bound up. So if the enemy can keep you away from the truth, from the truth from being exposed, then he will be successful in keeping those who would be free bound up and alive. Listen, that's why, that's why Jesus said so clearly, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. But talking about Satan, he said he's a liar and the father of all lies. So we have this battle going on, uh, a battle going on for truth. Boy, don't we see it today in the times in which we live? Man, just, just watch the news, watch the, the, the programs and, and the different attitudes that's going on. And I believe as we get closer and closer to the Lord's return, Satan will strategically plan his attacks as he wages an all-out war against the truth. How does he do it? Well, through point number two, the lies. The lies. Now think about this for a moment. Here you have Timothy, I mean Paul rather, He's fond of Timothy. I mean, this is his son in, the, in his faith, in the faith. And, and he loves Timothy, and he's warned him. He said, man, this is what you need to know about elders. This is what you need to know about deacons in the church. And this is how it's going to make the church run smoother for you. And you'll be able to get a lot more ministry done. And, and, and now it's like he's getting really serious. And you can almost picture Paul grabbing a hold of Timothy's robe and says, now, I want you to listen to me right now, what I'm going to say to you. Look at verse 1 of chapter 4. Now, the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. It's as if Paul is pulling back the curtain, you know, like, like in the Wizard of Oz to expose the fraud, the phony. And he's telling Timothy, listen, the Holy Spirit is warning you to let you know that in the last days, there's going to be frauds. There's going to be people who are listening to and practicing deceptive Practices originating from demons themselves. And Paul tells us when this is going to take place and what's going to take place. He says, uh, now the Spirit especially says, in the latter times, some will depart from the faith. You know, we're often told in Scripture what's going to happen in the last days. Well, last days, you know, there's the earthquakes and, and that, and, and, and there's going to be wars and rumors of wars. But you don't often hear about, uh, you know, that, the, that some will depart from the faith. Now, we're often told in Christians, again, what in Scripture, what to expect in the last days. And Paul says that. He says there will be some that will depart from the faith. Now, there are those who, who falsely teach. Well, you can't depart from, from the faith. 
But this verse tells us something different, does it not? Over in Second Chronicles chapter 25, there's a story of the king of Judah by the name of Amaziah. Amaziah reigned in Jerusalem for 29 years. Scripture says of him that he did that which is right in the sight of the Lord, but not with a willing or a perfect heart. He functioned in accord with the religion of Israel on the outside. He knew it. He understood it. He behaved by its ethics, but not with a perfect heart. He had a, a heartless external religion. But inside he was empty. Inside he didn't have a love for God. So he was soon lured away into idolatry. Now that same chapter, chapter 25, verse 14, says that he began to worship the gods of Edom, to which he bowed down and he burned incense to. And then we see in the end that he was murdered by his own people. And the closing comment on his life in Second Chronicles 25, 27 tells us that he turned away from following the Lord. My point is this. Departing from the faith is nothing new. It happens today. It happened to the church in Ephesus where Timothy was and it happened in the history of Israel with everyone from kings down to the peasants. There will always be people who will understand intellectually who will behave externally according to the revelation of God, but in reality, their hearts are not for Him. In fact, the writer of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12, Beware, brethren, lest there be any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. See, what we're talking about here, it really can be summed up in one word, apostate. An apostate is someone who departs from the faith that they know, the faith that they understand, and the faith which they previously affirmed. See, apostate is not someone who, who never knew, but someone who knew. Not someone who never believed, but someone who even on the outside believed. Not someone who never behaved, but someone who once behaved according to the revelation of God. But because their heart was never in it, because they never really knew God, they were lured away by giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Again, it's interesting that we see so many signs of Jesus' soon return and false teachers, uh, but often the, the giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, that one is often overlooked. But let me tell you, the reason why I think is because it's not a popular subject to talk about. Today, in the name of love, everybody wants to accept everything, and no one wants to be confronted on what they believe and why they believe it. And the process, in the process, people are becoming more and more deceived. Do you know that it wasn't until the 19th century that there, there really came a, a pronounced, you know, season of deceit? I mean, that really is when it kind of took off. New cults began to emerge like never before. Mormonism was born then, the Jehovah Witnesses, where it came into being during the latter part of the 19th century. Christian science emerged. All of these claimed to be Christian, yet they distorted biblical truth. Then suddenly, man, in the mid-60s, it all broke loose. A flood of error began to fill the churches and the media. Remember the Moonies? They came into existence under the Korean leader, Sung Young Moon, the Hare Krishnas. Remember seeing those guys? I'm older, so I do, and maybe some of you that are older. You remember seeing the guys at the airport, you know, and they, they had their saffron robes on, and they had the shaved heads, and, and passing out the lids, and they take a flower, and a little daisy, and they'd pin it on you, and then you go, okay, just stay away. Scientology, with the strange doctrines, were born in the 60s. Transcendental meditation came into popularity then. But now we're well into the 2000s. And instead of these new cults forming, we see that there's a push to be accepting of all ideas, all philosophies about God. And the idea is that all roads lead to God, and whatever road you're on, whatever you want to take, that's okay with me if it's okay with you. And the push is to be accepting of everyone. All sorts of heresies then come into the church. 
And, and the reason being is that truth is not being protected or proclaimed. It's no longer the pillar of truth. See, the danger was and is that by giving heed to these teachings, you can be so influenced that you will actually leave, depart from the truth of God's Word. So what does it mean to give into deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons? Well, we know a doctrine is defined as a classification of beliefs, teachings or instructions, taught principles or positions. The doctrines that we hold are based off of the truth that's found in God's Word. The doctrines of demons, on the other hand, are all based off of lies, deception, misinformation. So that doctrines of demons are creeds that offer counterfeit truths seeking to deceive. Fraudulent phone calls, you might say. And we see it happening all around us. It's, it's in every aspect of our world today. You go on the internet and you see the bizarre things that, that people are promoting and looking into. You listen to the music today or watch TV. You listen to the value systems of the people that are proclaiming these so-called truths. And you can see that our culture is falling apart. I, I mean, uh, there's this wave, really, an epidemic of violent crime that is sweeping across the world. The terrorists using vehicles to plow into people to murder them all in the name of their God. The devil's hard at work. He's active. And then you look at the counterfeits that he's planting within the church today. Not only do we, do we see these things on the outside, we go, man, that, 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 that's the devil. But he will also try to creep in among us with teachings that are, are outright lies. Concepts that may be semi-Christian, or at least on the exterior, but on the inside, they're filled with poison. See, what we're finding today in churches is mysticism, false teaching, divination, abuse of spiritual gifts, and, and love of experience trumping the Word of God. Let me give you a, a, a few examples of churches giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. One such deceiving spirit, or, or really doctrine of demons, is a type of New Age spiritual channeling called Sozo. C-O-Z-O. It's actually happening in some Christian churches here in Springfield. And the premise behind this practice, according to the website that, that God it all started, it says this quote, Sozo is a unique inner healing and deliverance ministry in which the main aim is to get to the root of those things hindering your personal connection with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That doesn't sound so bad on the surface, but it's wrong. It's wrong because we know it's the Word of God that gets to the root of the things that may be hindering your relationship with God the Father, not some emotional experience. But listen to their typical description of, of what, it, what goes on there. It continues. A typical sozo session involves encouraging the sozi into a mild trance while being led into a series of mental and emotional rooms or stages where the person connects to their deeper feelings and thoughts and comes to have a new experience with God. Here's the problem. Although claiming to be biblical, there are no scriptures backing this practice. On the contrary, plenty of scriptures warning to turn away from it. It really is just a repackaging of a Buddhist practice called Reiki, R-E-I-K-I, with, with a Christian spin to it. Reiki is a form of alternative medicine developed in 1922 by a Japanese Buddhist. Its healing technique is based on the principle that a, a therapist can channel energy into the patient by means of a touch to activate the natural healing process of the patient's body and restore the patient's physical and emotional well-being. I actually found that a website that makes sozo and reiki stones and oils to help with the healing process. One such advertiser calls them sozo stones, reiki infused. And it says all of our stones are hand-selected and locally sourced 
and are the finest quality crystals available. All of our pieces are rightly infused to enhance the stone's natural healing abilities. It's just New Age stuff, folks. That's unbiblical, and it's dangerous, and it's doctrines of demons. So, don't be a bozo. Don't practice sozo. <laughs> don't give in to this fraud. That's just one example. You know, there's an increasing number of Christian organizations and churches that are embracing sozo, just as they embrace contemplative prayer. Have you heard of that? Contemplative prayer has been around for a while. Here's how one, one uh, promoter defines it. Contemplative prayer in its simplest form is prayer in which you still your thoughts. This puts you in a better state to be aware of God's presence and it makes you better able to hear God's voice correcting, guiding, and directing you. That doesn't sound so bad on the surface either. In fact, it sounds even beneficial. But it's wrong. Because here's the reality. It's practitioners are trained to focus on an inner symbol that quiets the mind. And what practitioners become skilled at this method of meditation, they undergo deep trance state similar to auto-hypnosis. New Age. Again, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. And while we're on the subject, why have the opportunity? I've been looking for an opportunity for years to share this. You know, the practice I observed lately of casting demons out of a house. And, and you know, Christians will go room by room and they yell at the devil to get out. I, I have a problem with that. Because I don't see anywhere in God's word where Jesus or anybody else cast out demons from people's homes. I don't ever read of, of a demon-possessed house. Pigs, yes. I, I mean, I, I, houses, no. Or why some people will engage in extended conversations with demons. That's always perplexed me. They'll pray, oh God, we pray that you will move and do this today. And devil, we say to you that you have no power here, devil. And this devil, and furthermore, devil. Let me ask you, why are you praying to the devil? Think about it. If I'm praying to God, then why in the middle of my prayer am I turning around and talking to the devil? I don't want to talk to him. I don't want to engage with him. I love what uh, the Scottish pastor, Alistair Begg, said recently on a podcast. He says, the devil is a fallen angel. He is defeated. He is to be resisted. I like that. I mean, that's what James 4, 7 tells us. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. I don't read anywhere that you should talk to or have a conversation with the devil. I want to have nothing to do with that powerful spirit being or his deceptions or his doctrines. In fact, I'm no match for him. I'll just follow the example of Michael. Remember in Jude verse 9, chapter 1, verse 9, we read, Yet Michael the archangel, in contending with the devil, when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke you. I mean, the Bible doesn't say, Talk to the devil and he'll flee from you. Resist him and he'll flee from you. Now, let me say this. I don't think people who are into these things, into the sozo and, and reiki and contemplative prayer, I don't think these people are seriously trying to deceive people. I don't. I don't think that they think that they are following doctrines of demons. I do, however, think that they are self-deceived. And that's the worst kind of deception. Let me add one more thing since it's on it. The new movie, The Shack, based off of the book, The Shack. I shared this a while back. They People, oh, it's wonderful. It's so awesome. It's not wonderful. Okay, folks? It's a misrepresentation of who God is. You know, instead of describing God as a majestic supreme being that he is, the shack represents God as an African-American woman named Papa. 
Then you have a frail Asian woman with a Hindu name, Sarah Yu, representing the Holy Spirit. And then they threw in a Jewish carpenter to represent Jesus. Listen, Paul is saying to Timothy, be careful, be alert. In the last days, this is going to be becoming more and more prevalent and it's going to get into the churches. You're going to have those who have given into these deceiving spirits and are now teaching doctrines of demons. And then Paul goes on in verse 2. He says, they're going to be speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. In other words, they're going to be preaching one thing but practicing another. Hypocritical liars who have seared their own consciences with a hot iron. I looked up that word seared and it, in the Greek it's where we get our word cauterized. It's as if one time the Spirit flowed freely, but because you got caught up in something that wasn't of the Lord, that wasn't the truth, you've cauterized that sense of God's Spirit directing you and telling you it's wrong, and you've chosen not to listen. In other words, they actually know what they're doing is wrong, but they don't want to do anything about it to change. And then he adds what doctrine they're promoting in verse 3. It says they're forbidding to marry commanded to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. Now, when I read this, and maybe it's my background growing up, but when I read this, I say, huh, let's think of a religious circle in life. I think of their leadership where they say that some people can marry and some people can't. Let's think of a religious denomination that says certain foods should not be eaten on Fridays, but can be eaten on other days. Now, I don't know if you have to go too far in your mind to figure this out, but, but I know for me it was pretty clear. And I understand if you come from a Roman Catholic background and you say, well, I'm offended by that. Well, I would ask you, why? I mean, you have the Word of God presenting a simple statement about the religious hierarchy that does what God is saying He doesn't want them to do. See, this is where the truth of God's Word should affect our lives. As we allow God to correct those things that perhaps we have been taught when we were young, we now see they are now in conflict with the Word of God. If you've been taught one thing and you come across Scripture and you see something different than what you've been taught, guess who's wrong? Not God's Word. It's you. And it's a person who taught you those things. Listen, I am convinced that so many people believe things that they don't even know why they believe it. They don't even know why. Have you ever asked yourself the question, why don't priests marry? Well, because the church said they said so. Well, why does the church say so? I don't know. There's so much allegiance to, to doctrines and ideas that people say, well, I've always believed that. Well, why do you believe that? Have you ever compared that to what the Bible teaches on that? I mean, here's the word of God given to us, a word of warning saying, be careful because there's going to be religious groups rising up that will say that some people are going to be more holy because they're not married, and some people are going to be more holy because they don't eat certain foods on certain days. Paul's saying, don't buy into that. It's harmful. Where do we ever get the idea of not to marry? Well, I just always believed it. Well, then maybe read the Word of God and exchange your belief in a, in a tradition and put it in a Savior. A Savior that gives us a, such clear thinking that we don't have to be confused with these issues. Now, let me say this. I don't want you to think that I'm saying that Paul, you know, had the Roman Catholic Church in mind when he wrote this. That's not the case. Paul had the Gnostics in mind when he wrote this. And the fact of the matter is the Gnostics practiced some of the very same things practiced in the Roman Catholic Church today in some circles. And I'm not saying that, that, that Catholic priests are hypocritical liars with their consciences seared with a hot iron. That's not what I'm saying either. I'm just drawing out the comparison. 
And it's interesting to me to see that the very same warnings that he gave to the Gnostics at his time, he could give to the Roman Catholics in our time. But again, the point is being made that we need to know what we believe and why we believe what we believe. And if we don't know why we believe what we believe, then we need to start now. It's like the story I read of a freshman at Ingle Rock Junior High who won first prize at the Greater Idaho Falls Science Fair, April 26, 1997. He was attempting to show how conditioned we have become to alarmists practicing junk science and spreading fear of everything in our environment. In his project, he urged people to sign a petition demanding strict control or total elimination of the chemical dihydrogen monoxide. And for plenty of good reason. He said, since it can cause excessive sweating and vomiting, it is a major component in acid rain, it can cause severe burns in, gas, in the gaseous state, accidental inhalation can kill you, it decreases the effectiveness of automobile brakes. It has been found in tumors of terminal cancer patients. He had asked 50 people if they supported a ban of the chemical. 43 said yes. Six were undecided. And only one knew that the chemical was H2O, water. I mean, the, the, the title of his prize-winning project was How Gullible Are We? I mean, how many... People go through life, and when it comes to spiritual things, they just take somebody else's word for it. Don't do that. Study it for yourself. Read what the Bible says and live according to the truth of God's word and not according to tradition. We're going to get into this when we get into 2 Timothy, where Paul will say, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Now this brings us to our final point, the word. Look at verse 4. For every creature of God is good, and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. So Paul is saying, listen, marriage is a good thing. And for someone to say that, that marriage is not a good thing, and to say that you're more holy if you're not married than if you are, then something is wrong. Paul says, in the same way, food, man, was created by God to enjoy. And I do enjoy it. I thank you, Lord. But understand, there's an enjoyment that is based on prayer and the Word of God. And I bring that up because I remember when I first got saved back in the 70s, late 70s, and there were those saying, saying based on this verse, well, everything God created is good, man, and, and they're smoking pot, smoking marijuana, well, enjoy the weed of the earth, man, and, man, nothing's to be refused, uh, if, uh, man, if we receive with thankfulness, oh, man, I'm thankful for this stuff. Wait a minute. Yeah, the Bible says everything God created was good, but remember, it's through the Word of God and prayer. And the Bible has a whole lot to say about soberness and staying away from drugs and being filled with the Spirit. Through prayer, through the Word of God that He shows His truth. And we know the truth from the Word of God and we can know the lies from the Word of God because we know the truth. So then the more that we're in the Word, the less likely we're going to be deceived and taken in by doctrines of demons. Now, if I've not offended someone so far at this point in our study this morning, let me say, just wait because there's something in the Bible to offend all of us. I mean, the thing of it is, it's a sword. And it's sharp from time to time. And we all get poked. None of us are exempt when you teach the truth. Here's my point. From time to time, something is going to touch your heart in the Bible study. And you're going to say, oh, that hurt me, you know, by what he said. But as we go through the Bible, verse by verse, it's not always going to give you warm fuzzies all over, you know. It's not meant to. That wouldn't be church. That wouldn't be, you know, that would be a social club. And let me tell you, this, there's many social clubs that are out there today. 
I mean, if all we did was come in and, and have games and videos and entertainment, you know, maybe put up some racquetball courts in here, have a, put a swimming pool out in the grass there, and, 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 and you come in and I just teach studies about, you know, fuzzy, really good messages, and, and you go, oh man, he made me feel so good today about myself, and oh, that's, listen, that's not my ambition, that's not my goal, that's not what God has called me to do. In fact, I know that there are some weeks where the Word penetrates our hearts with such truth in such a way that you feel so low that you don't even want to open the back doors. You can just slip right underneath the doors themselves. I know that because I felt that way from time to time in my own life. Last week's message on deacons and pastors in the church. Man, just went, oh, Lord. And you leave this place feeling bad about yourself instead of happy, happy, happy. Let me tell you, that's not a bad thing. Because sometimes, sometimes we are torn down to be built up. The only way up is down. Because the only way sometimes, that's the only way sometimes we can grow. When, when someone can get in your face and say, listen, this is the truth. And what you're doing is not the truth. And you need to make it right. And you need to do this. That's how we change how we change now keep in mind in verse 6 what Paul says about me he says if you instruct the brethren in these things you'll be a good minister Tom that's what I'm trying to do actually look at verse 6 if you instruct the brethren in these things you'll be a good minister of Jesus Christ nursed in the words of faith and of the good doctrine which you have carefully observed or carefully followed so what Paul is saying is that, that listen from, from time to time Timothy you're going to have to do this as a pastor. You're going to have to hurt people's feelings for the strength of strengthening their spirit. And if you don't hurt their feelings from time to time based upon the religious baggage, then you're not a good pastor. But if you're a good pastor, then you're going to give them words of warnings so that by these words, words of warnings, they will know the difference between that which is a lie and that which is truth. See, we're working on the truth right now. Because on your, on your lap, in your hand, on your tablet, you have the truth. And as we continue to dig into the truth and study the truth and apply the truth, when a lie comes your way, man, you spot it immediately. Man, it may sound good to some, but based upon the truth of God's Word, you know that it's a lie. My, uh, my son-in-law just went, and my kids, they went and saw the Beauty and the Beast movie, and, and, and uh, you know, I don't want to go see it, you know, different reasons, but, but I probably, I don't know. But anyway... My son, like Calvin, he, he's, a, he's a history major. I mean, the guy, he knows history. And he, and he came back from the movie going, uh, you know, I don't think he's going to come, oh, they had a homosexual scene and that news is horrible. He comes back telling how all, all the history they had all messed up. This century, they didn't have guns, and they're in this century, and they had guns. And they, they didn't come about until that century. And then, and then it's showing that it's, 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 it's France, but the guy's got an Italian accent. What's up with that? I mean, I mean he just totally blew the whole movie apart by, by the history of it. I'm going, I never looked at it that way, Calvin. <laughs> but, you know, I do look at it that way when I see some of these movies out there, you know, like, like that, uh, that Noah movie around for, that was around you know, a while back. You're going, this is crazy stuff. That's not in the Bible. Where do you get that from? Where do you get that from? Why? Because you know the truth. You know the truth. You know, it's like the, the, if you're a bank teller, you know, they, they train you to spot the, the counterfeit by giving you the truth over and over again. The, the actual bill, the actual bill, then they stick, slip a counterfeit in and you go, wait, that doesn't feel right. That feels different. Uh, that's a counterfeit. How do you know it's wrong? Well, because I know the truth. And I've studied the truth for so long. The same thing is true scripturally. 
You've been handling the truth for so long that when somebody throws you a counterfeit, no matter who it is, no matter how recognizable they are, how popular they are on TV, you recognize it as a lie right away. That's why those that know the truth and practice the truth are not going to be taken in with a lie. And that's why Paul says this in verse 7 and 8, and we'll close with this. He says, But reject profane and old wise fables and exercise yourself towards godliness. For bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of the life that now is of that which is to come. So Paul is saying, listen, truth, truth, truth. Old wives' tales, myths, myths, myths. Stay away from that stuff. The reason? It's dangerous. You know, before I came to Christ, the way I thought, you know, I would get to heaven is, is that God would, would look at all the good things I did on this earth and look at all the bad things I did and he's going to put them on this giant scale and, and if the good outweighs the bad, then I'm in, I made it. Now, if the bad outweighs the good, then I have to spend some time working off the bad in this temporary place of fire and torment and pain between heaven and hell. So I better keep you know, the good outweighing the bad because that's scale, man. I, I, don't want, I don't want that to happen. It blew me away to realize there's no such scale in the Bible. And, and I bet there are those who have bought into that same way of thinking without ever knowing why, just because. Listen, the only scale in heaven is those who know Christ and those who don't. Those are the only two distinctions. Those who know the Lord enter into heaven, and those who don't, don't. There's no other option. Listen, the truth is found in God's Word. God has His hand on this book. And all of our excuses and all of our reasons why we don't come to Christ are all unfounded when you know the truth. They have no power. And all the myths and all the wives' tales that Paul writes to Timothy about, he tells them, be careful because there will be those who will talk about religious things in the last days, in the end times, that will not be based upon the truth. So be careful. So Paul, and then Paul says, rather, exercise yourself to godliness. And he, he likens it to those who, who, who train to get physically fit. Paul says, that's a good thing. It's a good thing to, to get physically fit. It's great. It profits a little. But when, you, when we compare it to those who train themselves to be godly, the contrast is clear. That will last. He says, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. Those who train themselves to get physically fit now, I mean, that's great. But it's not going to last. I mean, Jack LaLanne, I grew up watching this guy, and then he lived that well into his 90s. And I thought, man, that guy, he's going to live to be 200. Eventually died. I mean, it, it happened, you know. It, you know it, what Paul is saying is that you may be a physical muscle man. You know, the guys with no necks, you call them no necks because it's all muscles. Like their head shrunk down and they got muscles in their earlobes. Paul said, that's not bad. But he says, much better to be a, a no neck spiritual muscle person. I mean, think about this. Imagine for a moment if your spiritual walks matched your physical appearance right now. What would you look like? Oh, man. If all of a sudden where you're at spiritually, your body was now reflecting that, what would you look like? You might find that your little girl looks like Arnold Schwarzenegger in the height of his career, and you look like Arnold right now, you know, kind of flabby. Or, or, or those because they love Bible study, and they take in, and they take in, and they love to eat spiritual food, but they never give out. You can spot them because they just kind of roll in and roll out. Or others, they may be on the verge of starvation, real skinny because they only take in a bite at a time, once a month, maybe every other Sunday they're in God's Word. 
or maybe maybe this is the first time at a church that teaches the word, and they're looking at this feast, and they're they're almost you know in, in the last breath is man, can I keep the Bible that you gave me? I need to have more of this. Oh, this is so good, and they eat it up because they've never been around the word, and they love it. They just eat it up. But then you have those that are the spiritual muscle men and women, you know, and and they come in and they're serving and they're praying and they're sharing and they're doing and they're studying and they're the spiritual giants in the church. Let me ask you, what would your spirit look like? Why is that important? Because we're living in the last days, folks. Truth is a rarity. And we as believers do not have a long time to affect this world around us. To be able to have the courage to say, this is what the Bible says, and this is why we believe what we believe. Yes, physical training is important. Have a fit body. But it's a spiritual training that's going to last. It's going to go from this life to the next. And we'll look at this next time together. So make that your priority. Keep truth at the forefront of our hearts and lives. Finally, I want to give you a few verses all about God's truth. You can write them down, look them up later. Just a, it touched my heart, these verses. Psalm 119, verse 11. Your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Psalm 119, 30. I have chosen the way of truth. Your judgments I have laid before me. Psalm 119, 103. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Psalm 119, verse 160. The entirety of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous judgments endures forever. Psalm 119, verse 162, I rejoice at your word as one who finds great treasure. And finally, our verse of the year, Psalm 18, verse 30, As for God, His way is perfect. The word of the Lord is proven. He's a shield to all who trust in Him. Listen, the days we're living in are evil. We need proper doctrine. We need discernment. But most of all, we need to abide in Christ. It's about our relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you're here this morning and you don't have a relationship with Christ, I pray that you would see that it's not about what you do. It's about what Jesus Christ has done for you. 2,000 years ago, Jesus went to a cross to die for your sins. So that simply by believing in Him, turning from your sin, you can have life-giving relationship with the God who loves you so very much. It's about having your sins forgiven. It's about being born again today. That's the good news of the gospel, that you can have a fresh start. You can have a, a do-over, a start-over. And Jesus said, unless you are born again, you will not enter the kingdom of God. Those are God's word. This is the truth. So are you born again this morning? I think that, that most of us here, you probably are. But there might be some of you that have been raised in the church, had a lot of religion, and you may even have always believed God's word to be true, but you never really surrendered your heart and your life to the Lord fully. So my question to you this morning is, what are you waiting for? I mean, do you know beyond the shadow of a doubt that if you were to die right now this morning that you would go to heaven, that you would enter the kingdom of God? Is Christ ruling and reigning in your life right now? That's what it means to be born again today. That's what it means to have have a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not a religion, it's a relationship. If you don't know, then let's get that settled right now so you can leave this place knowing that your life is right with God and then start living for Him each and every day. If that's your desire, I want to give you that opportunity. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this time this morning. We thank you for the truth of your word, God, that you've given to us, that shows to us, Lord, that that we are all sinners, that we've all fallen short, Lord. But God, you sent your Son to die on the cross for our sins and rise again, that by believing in him, we can have life in his name, eternal life, our sin forgiven. 
And I pray, Father, if there's anyone here this morning that is yet to surrender their hearts and life to you, I pray that they would not wait any longer, that they would decide today, now is the day to be born again. Now is the day to give my life to Jesus. While our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, is there anyone here this morning you want to do that today? You want to surrender your heart and life to the Lord. You want to be born again this morning. Would you just raise your hand so I could pray for you? This is just between you and the Lord. I want to give you that opportunity. As I said, I think we're most all believers here, but maybe there's some here. You've come in and you said, you know, I've never taken that step fully. Just raise your hand so I can pray for you this morning. Anybody at all? Father, we thank you for this time, Lord. We thank you for your word. And Lord, we pray that we would be men and women of the word, Lord, that we would uh, cling to it, Lord, not allow the things of this world, the attitudes and philosophies of, of man to cloud our judgment, to get in the way of what we know to be true. We thank you for your Holy Spirit, Lord, that, that shows us the difference between truth and error as we dig into your word. Lord, we love you so much. We praise you for this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.